Good morning, morning and uh, praise God. Um, this is Pastor Grace, actually, Seruanga is, is my name. <laughs> Kalimzo is my maiden name. Um, I bring you love and greetings from many miles. And um, thank God for Alabaster. I know that you already have been blessed and you are having a wonderful time in the presence of God. And we just continue to receive from God's presence today. Um, today, I want to, to share with you on the topic of grace. And I was blessed to see that there's a number of us here that go by the name Grace or on the forum. Um, and uh, basing on the scripture that is our theme scripture in Hebrews um, chapter 12, we are, the theme is receiving an unshakable kingdom. And that theme comes at the end of a long discourse about what we have come to when we come to Christ. So, Father, as we um, focus on your word, we just ask that you give us ears to hear, enable us to hear what you are saying to us, and allow us, Lord God, to receive a rema word from you that will transform our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So this the, the verse um, comes at the end of Paul talking about what we have come to as opposed to what we have not come to. And before we get to that last verse that says we have come to Christ, um, the, we have come to this unshakable kingdom, there is a verse in verse 12 that says, look after each other so that no one of you fails to receive the grace of God. That's in Hebrews 12 and verse 15. Look after each other. So what we've come to do this morning is to look after each other, to make sure that none of us fails to receive this grace. This morning, we are receiving from God grace. And what Paul goes on to explain is that we have not come to a kingdom that is marked by fear, by trembling. We have not come to Sinai. We have not come to um, the, the things that terrified the people of Israel. We have come to Mount Zion. So this morning, as we focus in on the grace of God, I thought it would be important for us to first look at what grace is and what grace is not. And um, so I'll start from there. When, when we say grace, all of us have um, different words that we, that we uh, translate grace in, in our languages. And unfortunately, the way that we translate it sometimes can give us a weaker picture of what grace is than what it actually is. Um, so I just wanted to clarify from the very beginning that grace is a lot more than the words that we describe it by. Um, grace is not just mercy or pity. There's a difference between grace and mercy. Um, in some of our languages, grace sounds like kindness or it sounds like mercy or pity, like we talk about in Babazi, is grace just pity or mercy? 
I think that God does much more than just feel sorry for us. It is grace is more than mercy. Grace is not a consolation prize, as in when you fail to get the best. Uh, it's just like the final thing you get um, when you can't get anything else. It's, um, you know, when we were younger, when we do sports, the winner would get a, a prize and the rest of us would get a badge. I remember as a child getting a badge to say, I also ran. And that badge was kind of like, ah, you made an effort, it's okay. You kind of got. So sometimes we look at grace like that. Um, when I remember younger, we, we would say when someone has got married and the rest of you are still waiting, you know, the grace is enough. And it kind of makes you feel like grace is an inferior um thing when you don't get the big prize you get the consolation prize that is not what grace is grace is not sticking plaster to put on your wound just to cover up things it's not repair a repair job grace is not just to cover up our broken places <clears throat> we often belittle grace when we think that grace is just Jesus fixing us. So in our minds, we're kind of thinking he's a mechanic who fixes the things that we were broken. And um, this is where uh, a lot of people stand when they, we, they say to us, when you come to the Lord, oh, did you have a lot of problems? What was worrying you? What was God fixing? And it's because then we think that grace is just fixing something. Guys, all of these things are lying. Jesus is not sticking plaster. He is not paracetamol. He is not a consolation prize. He is much more than that. The Bible says in Romans 5, 17, um, of, of the grace of God, that if by one man trespass and death and offense reigned over the earth, then much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace and unmerited favor and the free gift of righteousness reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Romans 5, if you read perhaps in your time later, you take some time to read Romans 5. It, I love that chapter. It talks about what Jesus came to do, which is what grace is all about. And he says that through Adam, um, death came, death reigned. But those of us who come to Christ receive so much more as much as Adam surely brought death, surely brought sickness, we don't have an issue with understanding that Adam brought death. We don't have an issue with understanding that humankind is broken, that death affects all of us, that sickness affects all of us. We don't have an issue with that. Um, but the Bible says, through grace, so much more 
surely will we receive the free gift of righteousness. And uh, I don't know at what point you you left, I, you, I dropped off, but I was explaining to you the difference between um, what grace is and what grace is not. And um, let me go backwards to this, um, the word from, from Romans 5, 17, which is that for one man, if one man's trespass brought death and offense and that reigned in life, much more surely will those that receive God's overflowing grace reign as kings in life. Grace is reigning in life. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is the abundance of God's resources that he has availed to us. Grace is God giving what we desperately need but could never earn. Grace is more than mercy. Grace is empowerment. Grace is what sat on the disciples when the Bible says in Acts chapter 4 that men looked at them and they could see that they were unlearned, but they could also see that they had been with Jesus. Grace distinguished them even though they were unlearned. People could look at them and see, I can, I'm confused because I can see that you did not qualify for this, but I can also see that God has made something out of you. Grace is what qualifies the unqualified. Grace is person-specific. Grace is designed. There is a measure of grace that is available for each one of us. This morning, as we speak, as we focus on the grace of God, I want to focus on a verse that is in Jeremiah chapter 31. And it is Jeremiah 31 and verse 2. It says, can you still hear me? Yes, please, Pastor. Okay. It, verse 2 says, thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Uh, remember that at the beginning, it says um, we're encouraging one another that none of us will fail to find grace. And um, this verse about finding grace in the wilderness spoke loads to me um, in the recent past, like over the past year. And today we are receiving grace. And I wanted us, I wanted to illustrate what grace is and what grace does by looking at a few stories um, over the, the whole of, perhaps will be mostly in the Old Testament. Um, sometimes we think of grace as being just a, a, a New Testament concept, but God is a God of grace. He's a God of grace. He always has been a God of grace. That is from the very beginning. And there is grace that is laced throughout all the scripture, even when you're looking at the stories that seem really terrible, even in the midst 
of judgment, God is still a God of grace. And that's why whenever you see, even in the fall of man, when you see judgment being meted out, it is always mixed with grace. God cannot help himself. He is a God of grace. As you study the scriptures, you'll find um, what I sometimes call the Bible's second-class citizens. You know, um, when they're talking in Hebrews chapter 12 about the superstars, the Abrahams, the Noahs, the great guys in the Bible, you find these second-class um, citizens as well in the scriptures. These are the ones who, um, when you read Starting in the scriptures, in they're, they're ones at the yeah, bottom. And I want to start from the very beginning. Normally, those second-class citizens tend to be compared with another one who's doing better. So you have Cain and Abel, and you have um, Jacob and Esau. You have all these, these comparisons, Sarah and Hagar. But the grace of God extends to qualify even those who are unqualified. And today I want to talk about that grace that qualifies the unqualifies, that meets those that are perhaps not in the best, the grace that finds people in the wilderness, the grace that meets you when you're not at your very best. Let's start from the beginning. And the Bible records in Genesis chapter four, a very sad story of Cain and Abel. After we've had the beautiful story of the beginning and how God created man and how God created everything and everything was escorted by the phrase, and God saw that it was good, and God saw that it was good, and everything was great. After all that, the great introduction to the beginning of our story, then man messes it up. And um, we, we all know the story of Adam and Eve and, and, and how the fall happened with Eve getting deceived by the enemy. And when she's eaten the fruit, God comes and declares what has happened because they had one rule and they broke that one rule and judgment is passed. And in the midst of that judgment, I love the fact that God, even though he is saying to Adam and Eve, okay, now you've introduced pain. You guys wanted to experience pain. You've introduced it. Um, and then he speaks to Eve and he says, you give birth in pain. He speaks to Adam and he says, you'll sweat. You'll live by the sweat of your brow. And don't we all know that that is something that we struggle with every day? to today. But he does give a promise in the midst of that. I want you to focus on the fact that in chapter two, we have already entered into judgment. And then Cain and Abel, bless them, these poor boys are born in the midst of fresh judgment, fresh, the curse is fresh, fresh. It has just happened. And um, so they're born um, they are at a very difficult time. Their parents have messed up. So instead of being 
born into a beautiful, flawless world, which they should have been born into. They are born as generation one into a broken world. They've inherited a curse they didn't earn. The curse is fresh. They um, somehow uh, find themselves in a very terrible place. And then they are still, even though they're in the midst of that, one thing I thank God for is that we find them in the place of worship. They are offering, giving an offering to God, even though things are not so good between God and these, their family, they are offering up this, their sacrifice to God. And the Bible says um, that Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain was a tiller of the ground, and in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the ground, of, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door and its desire is over you. So fail number one is Cain's offering just wasn't good enough, not as good as his brother. But God comes to him and says, Cain, I know you didn't do so well, but if you do well, you will be accepted. Um, but then the Bible says, that Cain talked with his brother and then Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Then the Lord came to Cain and said, where is Abel, your brother? And he has the cheek to say, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And, and God says to him, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth. Now, hold up a minute. I thought we were already cursed. He is already cursed because he has inher inherited the curse from his parents, the curse that we've all inherited. But now the Bible says he's cursed again. Now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. This is like a double portion because it's already been said to his dad that the ground will not be fruitful, that you have to, he'll have to live from the sweat of his brow. And here he is receiving another portion, another portion of curse. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield its strength. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Sounds really heavy. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it, hap and it will happen that anyone who kills, who finds me, will kill me. He's saying, he's thinking to himself, I'm at the end of it. This Cain was what I call these second-class citizens. He didn't do good enough. 
he was a sore loser. Then he made it worse by becoming a murderer. And he's right at the bottom of the heap. And God has tried to pull him up by saying, if you do well, you will be accepted. But he does worse. Now, for many of us, we would think that story ends there. And maybe Cain should just find a rope and hang himself. But Cain cried out to God. Even at the very bottom of the bottom, he cried out to God. And his tipping point was at this point. He, he had an enough is enough moment. And he said, Lord, it's more than I can bear. I cannot take it. And listen to what God says to him. The Lord says to him, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And then the Bible says, and the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Can you imagine that God turns the story around? When you read further down, it, Cain goes out, yes, from the presence of God, and he gives birth to Enoch. Then the Bible says Enoch built a city, and then Enoch gives birth to this whole um, generation of people. Verse 20, it says, Ada bore Jabal, and Jabal was the father of those who live in tents and have livestock. So at the point where he's being told that the earth will not yield for him, he cries out to God. And God turns his story around and puts a mark on him. My dear, if God can put a mark on Cain, how much more can he put a mark on you? God puts a mark of protection on Cain so that nobody can touch him. If God can do that for Cain, who is doubly cursed, he will do much more for him. God extends his grace. I find myself in a place of amazement where people do things and you think, okay, that's the end. We write them off, but God never writes off. The grace of God never writes off. There's never a too bad. There's a never beyond repair. Even for Cain, there was grace. The reason why I read verse 20 is because the Bible says of Jab Jabal, who is a descendant of Cain. And remember, the, the ground is cursed because of Cain. The Bible says that his descendants were dwelling in tents and having livestock. If you have livestock, that means the ground is yielding for you. Something happened in the story of Cain. And if Cain has found, found grace, surely we will find grace. I want to give you another story um, of another second-class citizen, and that is the story of Hagar. I want to show you this morning that there is grace available to you in the wilderness. There was grace available to Cain in the wilderness, doubly cursed. God put a mark on him and God caused his descendants to be blessed and raise livestock. 
Then we come to Hagar. Hagar, you know her story. Hagar was Abraham's second wife. Now, my sympathies with Hagar are fluctuating because in a sense, I get it that she was a slave and she just had to do what her master said. And the master was Sarah. And Sarah said to her, go sleep with the boss. And she did it. Um, but the other part of me gets annoyed with her because I'm like, you always have the option to say no. You could have said no. You could stand up for yourself, girl. Anyway, she winds up being the side chick and the mother um, of the second son, well, the firstborn son of Abraham Ishmael. And she feels great about it, and he does as well. And she has, you know, because she now has risen up, she was a slave. Now that she has the master's um, son, her status has changed, and um, it goes to her head. And so her and her son start to behave in a manner that is unacceptable to Sarah. Hmm? And so friction develops between Sarah and Hagar. I mean, naturally, that we all know that that's the way that it happens with polygamous families. Um, but it gets to a point where Sarah says, no, I can't live with this woman. Um, so we're in Genesis chapter uh, 16. And so uh, let me just read from verse 5. Sarah said to Abraham, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. This is Sarah saying to Abraham, it's your fault that I'm in this situation. <laughs> Funny how the tables turned. Um, and so she says to Abraham, this is your fault. You need to fix this. So Abraham said to Pharaoh, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with um, Hagar, Hagar fled from her presence. And so here's Hagar running away. And the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel said to her, go back. And he said to her, I will multiply your descendants so that they will not be counted for multitudes. She was blessed. Then she gives um, she gives birth. So she, that is her first running away. And then the Bible says she goes back. She's with the child. And then in Genesis 21, she is chased again a second time. The first time she ran away because things were really bad. And then the second time after a, um, Isaac is born, um, 
verse 1 of chapter 21 says, Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, was scoffing. And she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son. Um, and the matter was very displeasing to Abraham because of his son. But God said to Abraham, don't let this be displeasing in your sight. Whatever Sarah has said, listen, for in Isaac your seed will be called, and I'll make a nation also of the son of the bondwoman. So Abraham rises early in the morning, gives Sarah and Ishmael bread and a skin of water, and she is sent on her way. And she is in the wilderness. Remember, we are focusing on finding grace in the wilderness. So she's in the wilderness and she has this bottle, water bottle. And the Bible says that the water in the water bottle runs out. The water in the skin was used up and she put the boy under one of the shrubs. And she went and she sat down and she said to herself, let me sit here because I don't want to watch my son die. So she sat and she lifted up her voice and she wept. She is at the bottom of the bottom. She is the bondwoman. She is the slave. She is not qualified. But in that place where she is, the Bible says that she found grace. God heard her. He heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called out to Hagar out of heaven. And he said, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad. I want to speak over somebody today who's in the wilderness, that there's grace for you and fear not, for God has heard. You may have gone through the sword. You may have be finding yourself in a situation where you're like, what happened with me? But there is grace even in that place. And God heard. And you know what? Um, sometimes we feel like we're at the end of <laughs> us. Right in front of us. The Bible says that when she had cried out to God, she opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Now, I don't know whether that well of water wasn't there before she began, while she was crying over the boy, but something in her was not able to see. This morning, I speak over you that your eyes will be opened because there is grace. The grace of God will open your eyes to see that right in front of you, there is an answer. Right in front of you, there is a well of water. And she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the land, with the lad. And he grew up and he dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran and he prospered. Um, the Bible talks about, I mean, we, we don't need even to know uh the scriptures, we can see that the descendants of Ishmael have prospered. Why? Because the grace 
of God is indiscriminate. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is grace, my friend. Grace is available to all, even those who may class themselves as second second class or less than the grace of God was available for Hagar, the grace of God is available for you. The boy lived and you just need to look at Middle Eastern wealth to realize that you can be fruitful in the wilderness, that you can be fruitful even when you are the one who has been cast out. There is grace available for you. There is, um, I want to talk about another one, a third one, and I think I may stop at the, the third person. We're talking about the grace of God that is available for those who class themselves as less than, as um, who we're calling second-class citizens. The the other one that we we class in the in the you know the Old Testament stories of of those who are better and those who are less better is Esau. He was. From day one, it seemed as if he was the one who was unlucky, unfortunate, not blessed. You know, the child who was born um, without that silver spoon in his mouth. And the Bible says from the very beginning um, in Genesis chapter 25, let me just turn there. I hope you don't mind reading scriptures. So early in the morning, um, and if it is 25, 23, uh, when he's, this is talking about the, the beginning of Esau's story. The Lord pleaded with, um, no, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, Rebecca, and then she conceived. But the children struggled within her. And she was like, what is going on? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, there are two nations in your womb. Two peoples uh, shall be separated from your body. And one will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. This is way before Esau is even born. It is declared over him that he will serve his younger brother. I don't know about you, um, how that makes you feel, <laughs> but some, some people would say, oh God, that does, just doesn't feel like fair. So the Bible says the, the days came and she was um, for her to give birth and they were twins. And the first one came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over and they called him Esau. And afterwards his brother came out Um um, and he was called Jacob. So from the very beginning, there's this pronouncement over Esau's life. You will serve the younger. Then they began to grow. The precedent, the biblical precedent was that Esau, being the older one, should have been the blessed one. He should have, you know, because these was the days of the double blessing for the older person. And so as the older person, he had the blessing of the firstborn child. 
Now the Bible talks about how in uh, in he sells this birthright to his brother. You know the story, but just long and short. Um, he he is in the fields. His brother tends to be at home. He comes home one day. He's tired. He's hungry, and his brother, and he says to his brother, "Please give me some of the stew. Some some um, some of your versions will say lentils. Give me some of the lentils that you're cooking. Feed me with the, some of that red stew, for I am weary or hungry, and to the point of death." And um, he uh, his brother says to him. I'll, I'll give it to you, but you first have to give me your birthright. And um, long and short is Esau says, I'm starved and I'm going to die. What is the use of my birthright right now? Now, the birthright was something that was very precious. It gave him a right to the blessing, the first blessing of his father. It gave him a right to a double portion of blessing. But in his hunger, he couldn't see that. And he swapped it. And he said, you can take it. And he swore an oath, selling his rights to his brother. So the, the prophecy is that he'll be less. Now he's selling his birthright. And then the Bible says, even after that, um, he, he goes on and it gets worse. He, he probably realizes what the birthright is all about because when his dad is dying, he does his best to get his dad's blessing. Again, his brother <clears throat> steals the birthright, I mean the blessing from him by pretending to be him. And you know the story, the brother puts on a hairy thing <clears throat> and looks like Esau. And so we find by the time we get to Genesis 27 and verse 40, a very desperate, desperate Esau. He is been serving his brother by prophecy. He's lost the birthright. He's lost the blessing. In Genesis 27 verse 40, he cries out to his dad, and he says, but is there, do you not have another blessing? Is there no second chance for me? Isn't there something for me, even though I've messed things up? And his father says to him, I've already given the blessing to your brother. And he says, dad, bless me too. Bless me too. I want to say to you that uh, this God that we serve, he always hears the cries of his people. He, I was young, now I'm old. I can testify that you go, the righteous will never be forsaken. They will not be cast out. And it's even the same when you've not been righteous. Even when you have done the worst, God's grace is more than sufficient. And so... His father finally says to him, you will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above, which doesn't sound like a blessing to me. You will live by the sword. You will serve your brother. 
But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. Some of your versions will say, when you grow restless, you will break the yoke. Now, he gives him, that is like his get out of jail card. Um, It may not sound like a blessing, but he's saying to him, Esau, the story has not yet ended. And I want to say to you today, the story has not ended. You're not at the end of the rope. When you say enough is enough, you will break the yoke. Now, when you read the scriptures and you you read what happens later on, Jacob gets his own portion of suffering at the hands of the father-in-law. And Esau's story seems to be quiet. We don't know what's happened to him. He seems to have fallen off the map. He's no longer in the news. What has happened with him? When you follow the scriptures and go up to Genesis 32, where God makes Jacob go back to his brother Esau, and something has been happening in Esau's life while he is away from the center stage, while the lights are not on him. The Bible says that um, Esau saw that his father doesn't want, um, didn't want Jacob to have a wife who is not an Israelite. So he married again. So he changed his marital status to line up with what the covenant required, which was that they marry within the tribe of Israel. And then something changed in his circumstances. And today I declare to you in the name of Jesus, something is going to change in your circumstances because we serve a God of grace. We just need to receive that grace. The Bible says that when Jacob goes back to Esau, he goes in fear because he thinks that he's going to go back to an Esau who is broken, who is bitter, who has nothing, and he thinks his brother is going to kill him. So when Jacob sees Esau coming, and Esau has 400 men, uh, Jacob is quaking because he's thinking, ha, the last time I left this guy, he was talking about killing me. So what Jacob does is he sends flocks and herds ahead to appease the bitter, broken Esau. And listen to what happens. Esau looks at the women. No, let's first start from verse uh, verse 3. Jacob went on ahead and as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times. Now listen, the people who bow, you bow to the person who's more senior to you. You don't bow to the servant. He's, Jacob is bowing to his brother, which means the table has turned. He bows not once, not twice, seven times. God is going to cause those who have stolen things from you to bow seven times, a complete number of times. Then Esau ran to meet him and he embraced his brother. Esau is not bitter. He's running 
and he's embracing somewhere in the wilderness, he has found grace to forgive. May God cause you to find grace to forgive and release those that have held you because bitterness blocks us from the grace of God. Esau has forgotten those years of pain. He runs and embraces his brother, throws his arms around his neck, and he kissed him. Then Esau looked at the women and the children, and he said, who are these people with you? And Jacob says, these are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant. What? The prophecy said that it was Esau who was going to be the servant. And here is Jacob describing himself as the servant. God lifts those who are downtrodden. God turns stories around. Grace qualifies the unqualified. Grace overwrites even generational things, even generational curses. This was something which was from the womb, but grace overturned it. And grace can overturn it for you and will overturn it for you in the name of Jesus. These are the children God has graciously given to me, your servant, Jacob replied. Then the servant wives came forward. Next came Leah. And they all bowed before Esau. Finally, Joseph and Rachel came forward and bowed before him. And what were all of these flocks and herds I met as I came, Esau asked. And Jacob replied, they are a gift, my Lord. <laughs> are you hearing? Who is calling who, my Lord? Um, to ensure your friendship. And this is what Esau says in response. He said, my brother, I have plenty. Keep what you have for yourself. My brother, I have plenty. The God of grace met with Esau in the wilderness. The God of grace will meet with you in the wilderness. The people who have survived the sword will find grace in the wilderness. Esau found the grace to forgive. Esau found the grace to prosper. And he came to a place where he had so much that when um, his brother says, let me share with you some of what I have. He said, no, 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 no. Keep what you have. I have plenty. The grace of God brings us out of the dry place into the fruitful place. This is what God came to do. This is what Jesus came to do, to not only be a sticking plaster, not just to fix us, not just to do a repair job, but to cause us to reign as kings with him. There is grace for you this morning. And this morning I came to say to you, receive the grace of God. The grace of God is more than mercy. The grace of God is the power to overcome. The grace of God is the power to turn your story around. The grace of God is what makes Esau rise up from the dust. The grace of God changes the story of your life 
the grace of God picks up the unqualified. Let us pray. Father, this morning we thank you that grace is available. Grace is available for those who feel unworthy. Grace is available for those who feel like second-class citizens. Grace is available. Your grace, not just to show us mercy, but to pick us up and to give us the riches that are in you, to clothe us with glory, to change our garments, to change our story, to change our destination. Grace is available. We thank you for the grace of God that is in this prayer room even right now. I speak the grace of God over those who have been walking through the wilderness. Those who have been walking through the wilderness of sickness. Those who have been walking through the wilderness of lack. Those who have been walking through the wilderness of oppression. I speak the grace of God, the grace that causes them to reign as kings. Yes, sin brought death and suffering, but so much more is available through Christ Jesus. So I speak your grace over each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so amen. much, Pastor Grace. <laughs> so much amen wow 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 brethren let's take a minute to just receive the grace of god father thank you for the grace in each and every one of our different circumstances today we receive the grace oh lord whether we have we have related with what Esau went through my lord we receive the grace not to let the root of bitterness come and take place in our hearts my lord whether we have been like penina my lord we receive the grace my lord to continue to tarry in your presence and to call upon your name my lord we receive your grace my lord and my father thank you lord thank you lord thank you for this grace that makes the wilderness worthwhile my father and my god thank you precious king of glory Brethren, I pray that we will go through the day receiving the grace of the Lord, even all through our seasons, whether they be now or in a time to come, the grace of the Lord will meet us and bring us out of a dry place into a beautiful place. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and we believe. Amen. 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 Oh, thank you so much. Amen. 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 Am